incredibly excited to invite you to take your Bibles and open up to the book of Jonah. In the Old Testament, one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. And we're going to dive into this short four-chapter book this morning as we continue through the story series of walking through the Bible this year. And hope that's been a blessing to you. Hope you're able to continue with the reading. Uh, if you've fallen behind, just kind of pick up where you are. Maybe just pick up with the book of Jonah and start to read through that together in your own time with the Lord. Uh, book of Jonah, chapter 1, is where we're going to be in just a minute. Now, I know I can't say Jonah without most of you thinking, oh, that's the big fish story, right? The big fish, the guy gets, and you're thinking, I got Jonah. I got the story, but there is an immense amount of truth and practical application to our lives from this incredible Old Testament book that you might be somewhat familiar with, uh, the book of Jonah. Now, let me begin with kind of a story I heard or a, a statement by a missionary not too long ago. There was a missionary in the continent of Africa, and he and his wife were asked this question. They were asked, do you like the work God has called you to? And the response of this missionary was a little bit surprising to me. This missionary said, no, my wife and I are not crazy about dirt. We're not particularly fond of mud huts. They said, we have reasonably refined sensibilities. We do not like crawling around from mud hut to mud hut through goat dung. But, they said, God pity the man or woman who never does anything for Christ that he does not like. Liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have a command from our king to go, so we go. Love constrains us. Now, let me ask you something this morning. Will there be times in this journey of following Jesus that God will lead, prompt, guide, direct us to do something we might not want to do? Hello? That's a great place to say amen or something. Listen, if we're fair with each other, we know there's going to be times in our life that we open up God's Word or we hear a word or a brother and a sister come to us and we know God is prompting and leading through His Spirit or through His church or through His Word. And when we first hear it or we know it's God, we're like, oh, don't really want to do that. I don't like that. Book of Jonah. Jonah is commanded by God very clearly to do something. And when he first hears it, his response is, I don't like that at all. And Jonah chapter 1, before we jump into the reading here, let me kind of set up the context for you a little bit. If you've been here over the past few weeks, we're now in a section of Scripture called the Prophets. The kings, the prophets, it's the time in the nation of Israel's history that now Israel is two nations. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Go ahead and put that map up on the screen. I just want you to see this. Israel has now had a civil war. After the reign of Solomon, there are now two nations. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Samaria is the capital of the north. Jerusalem is the capital of the south. You have two distinct nations. And as you read through the prophets, Jonah and Hosea, Joel, Amos, all these guys, some prophets are to the northern kingdom Israel, some to the southern kingdom Judah. Jonah is a prophet of God. 
He's called by God. He's set apart by God to speak to God's people, primarily the northern kingdom, Israel. But Jonah is a little bit unique. Jonah is one of the only prophets that is particularly called by God to step over the boundaries of Israel and go to another nation during this time in Israel's history. So you have to understand for Jonah, you won't read a lot, understand a lot of what we're going to read until you get this. Jonah in the nation of Israel is a hero. He has a very popular, thriving prophetic ministry. I mean, everybody's reading his books, everybody's on his blog, they're tweeting out his quotes, you know. Everybody loves Jonah. He's very well known in Israel. So how do you know that? 2 Kings 14.25, I'll read this to you real quick. It says, Jeroboam the king restored the border of Israel, the northern border, as far as the Sea of Arabah. What does all that mean? According to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai. The king worked alongside Jonah, and Jonah, as a word of the Lord, told the nation of Israel they needed to store up, shore up their northern border. Now hang on, this is going somewhere. So the nation of Israel experiences a great time of prosperity and security and safety from their enemies all around them. And Jonah was a national hero. Everybody thought very highly of Jonah and his ministry there. Now, Right to the north of Israel. Put that map up one more time. It's not on there, but I'll just point to it. To the north of the nation of Israel, it says Phoenicia, but going up above that, is an enemy nation. It is a rival of of Israel, one of their arch enemies, and it's the nation of Assyria. Assyria is the world power at this time. Assyria hates the nation of Israel. Israel hates the nation of Assyria. Assyria, just so you'll kind of make a connection to this, because we're going to make it really practical for you here in just one second. Assyria was known for their incredible brutality. To those that they would take captive, they were known to be incredibly brutal. To the, those that they would take captive, they were known to be incredibly brutal to leaders that they would take captive. They enslaved women. They were known for just this incredible, heinous brutality. And their goal was to destroy the nation of Israel and set up their capital in Samaria and wipe out the people of God. So you can imagine there was a little bit of animosity between the nation of Israel and the nation of Assyria. To make it painfully practical for you, think of the nation of Assyria as modern-day ISIS. (laughs) Committed to treachery. Committed to these things that we hear about and we read about and we see in the news and it just grips our heart and our, our, our thought when we hear about some of the things that these ISIS militant leaders might be doing, we think, God, when are you going to do something? God, ain't it about time you rain down judgment on these nations and these wicked people? That's what the people of the nation of Israel thought about the nation of Assyria. Now, hang with me. I'm going to give you one more piece of historical information that's huge. The capital of the nation of Assyria was a city called Nineveh. 600,000 people. It was a metropolis city. It was the headquarters for all the Assyrian Empire. The na- the, the, this, is, this is awesome. The city of Nineveh was founded by a man named Nimrod. Isn't that a great name? If you're having a boy soon, name him Nimrod. It's a great name. Nimrod. 
The word Nimrod, watch this, means fish. The city of Nineveh could be referred to as fish town. <laughs> yeah. And in the city of Nineveh, they worshipped a god, D-A-G-O-N, that was known as the fish god, half man, half fish. So here's this city of fish, fish town, Jonah. Jonah's doing his thing in Israel. He's just writing his books. He's on his speaking tour. Everybody loves Jonah. And the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what it says. You can follow along with me. We're going to walk through kind of the story of Jonah as a review for many of you. And then we're going to make some applications to our lives here this morning. Jonah 1, 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Ready? Arise and go to Nineveh. Stop right there. If you don't know your background that I just read over, you just kind of read over that. Okay, I go to Nineveh. If Jonah is here, Jonah, it doesn't say how, it doesn't say the manner. All we know is God speaks clearly to Jonah. Maybe he's up and he's got his scrolls out with his pen. He's having a quiet time. We don't know what he's doing. God speaks clearly to Jonah and says, Jonah, here's my mission for you. Arise, get up, leave Israel, and go to Nineveh. <clears throat> what? What? God, do I need to remind you those are the enemies of Israel. Those are brutal people that hate us. And you want me to go and take a message to them? What are you talking about? Rise up, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Verse 2, verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into the ship from the presence of the Lord. Jonah says, no way am I going to do what God is clearly calling me to do. So he leaves Israel, he goes to Joppa, it's a seaport. If you don't know your geography of that area, let me quickly show you another map so you'll get this. Put that other map up of Tarshish and all of that so you can kind of see the. To the very east is Nineveh, 500 miles that way. To the west, as far as you can go in the known world, is Tarshish. <laughs> Spain. Jonah says, I'm not going east, I'm going due west. And I'm getting as far from Nineveh as I can get. Goes down to Joppa and sometimes plays the game with God's will that we play well you know maybe God's in this maybe I didn't hear God clearly maybe I he said hey here's a boat that just happens to be going to Tarshish I guess that's what God wants me to do can I just make an application statement for all of us ready me included every open door is not from God Jonah had to rationalize well here's a boat it's going to Tarshish that's where I think it, it must be God's will even though God had clearly spoken to Jonah already. So he gets in this boat and he heads over to Tarshish trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. What is Jonah doing? Jonah is running from God. Jonah knows clearly the word of the Lord. He knows clearly what God's calling and leading him to do. Jonah goes the other direction. Now here's a question for you and me. What happens in my life and your life as children of God when we run from God? You say, I don't know that I ever do that. Listen, you and I struggle with this every day. Do you know that? 
We struggle this every day. Let's, let's take our spiritual hats off and be real honest with each other. We know what God's prompting, leading, guiding, directing us to do. We know what God is nudging us from His Word. And we just bow up and we resist and we push and push, push back against the Lord. And what We run just like Jonah. We need to know how does our Heavenly Father respond when we run. And some of you right now have the picture of the God who's up on His throne with the lightning bolt ready to throw it down. I'll get you, you little... Ah! No. How does God respond when His children run? Look at verse 4. So the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Verse 4. Verse 5. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. So he's on this boat with these pagan sailors, and they don't know what's going on. The Bible says it's a great storm. One that maybe like these guys had never seen before. And every man's crying out to his God. And they threw the cargo of the ship to lighten it. But Jonah had gone below in the hold of the ship. And he had fallen fast asleep. You say, you see, there I told you God sends the storm. God, God's, God's bending his bow with his lightning bolt at Jonah. Listen, God is not punishing Jonah. God is pursuing Jonah. Did y'all hear that? Some of you need to hear that, that the faithfulness of God is extended to you, child of God. And even when we run, even when we're like Jonah and we think we're going to run as far away as we can, if you are in a covenant relationship with God, listen to me, God is much more committed to that relationship than you are. Aren't you glad? Because my security as a believer is not because I pull myself up by my bootstraps and hold on to Him. It's because in His grace, He has made a covenant with me and He pursues me in His grace and His faithfulness. God is committed to you, child of God. And He's committed to Jonah, even though Jonah is self-centered and Jonah's heart is wrong and Jonah has this nationalistic racism towards these people that he thinks is godly God is pursuing Jonah because he's going to use Jonah but watch this he's going to do something in Jonah so the story goes on verse 15 so they jump on over to verse 15 so what happened well they figure out that they believe it's because of Jonah that all this is coming up on them. So verse 15, all they know to do is pick up Jonah and throw him into the sea. And that's what they did. So they picked up Jonah, they threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Now Jonah had already told them, he said, I'm running from the Lord God, Yahweh God. I'm running from Him. I'm a Hebrew. They already knew that. So when they picked up Jonah and they threw him in the sea, it's calm. It's quiet. And these sailors had never seen anything like that before. Verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord, Jehovah, greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. God does something in the life of these sailors. They see the true God and His power. And here's the irony. What's this irony, this picture here? These sailors, the prophet of God, is floating to the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea, running from God, and these pagan sailors are on top of the ship worshiping. Because they now have met the one true God. It's irony. So Jonah is floating down, 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 down. Chapter 2, you can read about it. He talks about the seaweed wrapping around his head. And he goes to the bottom of the sea. And he's in this place of death. How does God respond? Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly or the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. I'll stop right there. Pastor Mike, 
I've heard that story most of my life. Do you really believe that God supernaturally called up this shark or whale? Or we don't even know what it was. It just says a great fish. Do you believe that? doesn't matter if I believe it or not. Jesus believed it. (laughs) Because in the New Testament, Jesus says there will be no sign given to you except the sign of Jonah. He lived in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. Jesus holds it out as literal truth. We're reading a literal story that happened because of the supernatural power of God. So here's Jonah. Now watch this. This is practically important for you and me. He's floating down to the bottom of the Mediterranean. He's running from God. Things he thinks can't get any worse. He tells us about it in chapter 2. And the next thing he knows, he wakes up. Whoop! And he's in the belly of a fish. Now, I don't know what you think it looks like in the belly of a fish or what life is like. You know, in your children's books, he's kind of sitting on a little chair and he's holding out this lamp, you know, and he's writing in his journal and... That's not life in the belly of a fish. You can imagine if you're a fisherman, if you've ever cut a fish open, just imagine cutting that fish open and putting your face up in it like this and the smell. There's decaying, rotting flesh in this fish's gullet. It's dark. It's clammy. And remember, this fish is active. This fish is going up and down in the water. You ever been on a roller coaster and you're like, God, get me off this roller coaster. I'm going to die. That's why I hate roller coasters. Well, Jonah's stuck in a roller coaster for three days and three nights. And he's probably nauseous, and there's the acid of the fish in this stomach of this whale. Fish is acid. It's just a horrible place. It is a symbolic place of death. It's a place that Jonah does not want to be. But here, this is huge for you and me. Jonah, at the beginning of his time in the well, has to think of this as the judgment of God. God, why do you have me here? But after three days, you're going to read his testimony, and he realizes it wasn't the judgment of God. It's the deliverance of God. And listen, some of you right now find yourself in something similar to the the belly of a whale, and you are dying and you are hating being there, what you don't realize in God's grace and His mercy is God is delivering you. Who is God delivering you from? You know who? Yourself. You know who God's delivering Jonah from? Jonah. Because Jonah's on this journey of self-centeredness. And Jonah's on this journey of self-determination and he wants his will no matter what God thinks. And he is a self-centered prophet and God is delivering Jonah from Jonah. You and I often need to be delivered from one of our worst enemies and that's ourself. That's what God's doing in the life of Jonah. You get to chapter 2. See that Jonah cries out to the Lord by the end of chapter 2 or verse 9 in chapter 2. It says, I will offer sacrifices to you with a song of praise. Then you get to the end of verse 9. It says, for salvation comes from the Lord alone. God has done a deep work in the heart of Jonah in the belly of this fish. And then he says, salvation is from the Lord. Now watch this. He's not talking about the salvation for the Ninevites yet. He's only talking about the mercy he just experienced. Jonah can't get past the mercy God puts in his own life to think about anybody else. So God's doing a work in Jonah's heart. But listen, just like you and me, he's not finished. 
We are constantly being pursued by the Spirit of God. God is constantly working on our heart. He will use whatever it takes to continue to grow us and conform us and transform us to the person of Christ. If you are here, I hope you leave today with lenses to say, God, help me be able to see in my life it is your pursuit of me out of your faithfulness. And even the boldness to say, God, Leave me in the belly of the fish as long as I need to stay there to learn what you want me to learn. So Jonah is being changed by God. Verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. Is the word vomit in the Bible? Yep, right there. Vomited it up on the dry land. Now, I, I use my imagination on this again. I, th- this fish somehow beaches itself, I guess, on the shore there of Israel or Assyria or something. We don't know. So I'm just picturing three or four dudes sitting in their chair, you know, doing their fishing with their hat and they're sipping their lemonade. And this fish beaches itself upon the shore. They're just looking at it. And they go, that's a man that jumped out of the mouth of that fish. And they see something they never thought they would see. What's this? A man comes out of a place of death. And begins to walk. And it's a picture that Jesus then implies and refers back to in the New Testament. There's a point. Jonah goes to a city to preach a message of repentance. And his authority is the fact that he was dead, if you will, and comes back to life with a message. If a dead man has a message, you better listen to it when he comes back to life. Jesus is that man. So here's old Jonah. See, what do you think Jonah looked like when he came out of the belly of that fish? Well, scientists and doctors probably tell us his skin was bleached white from the acid, had no hair left on his body, his clothes had been burned away, so here's a a naked, bleached, hairless man. Right? And he's going to Nineveh, fish town, and man, he's got some fish story to tell his people. God uses all that in his life. God uses all that for His purpose. Jonah 3.1 Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim against it what I'm going to tell you. Verse 3 is almost comical. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. I think better of it, God. I don't think I'm going to try the Tarshish thing anymore. I kind of like my hair and my skin color, you know. So he's on his way to Tarshish. He's on his way to Nineveh now, where God has called him to go. An exceedingly great city, a three days walk. He's going to Nineveh. Stop right here, because you have to know this. He's not happy about it. See, God's kind of hemmed Jonah in, and he's, he's directed the steps of Jonah. But Jonah, if you will, and you'll see this in chapter 4 in just a minute, Jonah's going with his feet like this. You ever had one of your kids, when you, when you tell them to do something, they do it? And they're outwardly doing it, but man, in their heart, they're, they're disobeying in their heart, right? I'm going to do it. I ain't happy about it. That's what Jonah is. Why? Because his heart's still far from God. His heart's still not beating for the things God's heart beats for. You'll see that in just a second. So it goes to Nineveh, chapter 3, verse 4. And Jonah began to go throughout the city one day's walk. And he cried out and he preached an eight-word message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So here goes the bleached, hairless, naked man. I guess he's put clothes on by now. Walking around the city of Nineveh and he has an eight-word message for the people of Nineveh. Yet 40 days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. It's a message of judgment. 
Forty days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Forty days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And in Jonah's mind, he is right in the middle of the enemies of God. He is walking right in the middle of ISIS headquarters. He can't believe he's there. He doesn't want to be there. He really doesn't want God to forgive these people. He doesn't like these people. He has an attitude of nationalistic racism against these people. And God supernaturally uses Jonah anyway. God is incredibly gracious and sovereign. Verse 5, Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Verse 6, Then the word of the Lord reached the king of Nineveh. Hey, king, I don't know if you've heard, but there's a naked, bleached-out Hebrew man running around our city. What's he saying? Yet 40 days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And God uses it in the life of the king. Verse 6 says, When the word reached the king, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. The king repents and turns to the Lord. Now you need to pause for right there for just a second. Like Daniel said earlier, what you are reading about is the supernatural favor and activity of God. A city has repented and turned to the Lord. Husbands and wives are being reconciled. Children are coming to the Lord and returning to their parents. Those people in the city that, you you put it in your own mind, those people that you've been praying for in your life for years and years and years to come to the Lord have finally received Christ and God is transforming them and He's pouring out His mercy. God is doing a work of probably one of the greatest revivals in human history. So you got to think you're going to open up your Bible to chapter 4, verse 1, and Jonah is going to be throwing a party. And Jonah's going to be like, God, I'm so thankful I came here anyway. Lord, thank you for sending me. God, thank you that you're changing these people's lives. Chapter 3, verse 10 ends this way. When God saw their deeds and they turned from their wicked way, God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. God, watch this. God dispenses great mercy to the people of Assyria. God has mercy on ISIS. God has mercy on that person that comes to your mind right now that you really have a hard time with and can't even imagine that God would ever show His favor to them. How does Jonah respond? Chapter 4, verse 1, is one of those verses in the Bible that is intended to stop you in your tracks and go, What? Citywide revival. God is being honored. Families are being transformed. Jonah 4, 1 says, But it greatly displeased Jonah. And he became angry. What? Is it possible for a child of God to be so out of step with the heart of God that he becomes embittered at the activity of God? Yeah. Jonah's personal pursuit of his own agenda 
and of his own stuff and his own will is to such a point, I'm pointing the finger at me, that he is witnessing one of the greatest things in human history and he is pouting about it. So you read on, verse 10. He prayed to the Lord and, and said, Lord, was this not what I said when I was in my own country? Helps you understand what happened earlier in the book a little bit. Why was he so passionate about not going to Nineveh? Well, here's why. He said, therefore, in order to forestall this, you showing mercy to these people, in order to forestall this, I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger. I knew you would forgive them, God. So I said, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. I'm going to go the other way. I'd rather run from the presence of the Lord than be a part of your activity in showing mercy to, watch, these people. These people. Verse 3. Therefore now, Lord, take my life, for death is better than me. So I'd rather die. Lord, just kill me. You know why he said that? Because in his mind, he would rather die than have to go back to Israel and tell the people of Israel what he had done. You know why? Watch this. Jonah represents the entire nation. Jonah represents the entire nation. Who had become so nationalistic and so prideful in their Hebrew heritage, they had lost the reality and the sense Israel did not exist for Israel. Israel was brought into creation by God for the nations, for the world to hear about the Messiah. And they lost it. And in just a few generations from what you're reading here, God's going to bring discipline and judgment upon his nation, and he's going to use the people of Assyria to do it. We'll be there in a few weeks. So what happens? Verse 4, the Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry, Jonah? He's going to deal with Jonah. He's going to continue to work in the heart of Jonah. Verse 5, then Jonah went out from the city and sit east of it. Now he's really having a pouting party. There he made a shelter for himself. He builds a little lean-to and he sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. He said, God, I'm going to go out here and build me a lean-to. I'm going to sit there in hopes that you're going to bring judgment on these people and you're going to change your mind. He's waiting for the fire to rain down from heaven on Nineveh and then he's going to be excited. But not now. Verse 6. So the Lord appointed a plant. And it grew up over Jonah to be shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. They're in the desert. This, this area of the world is desert. It's like where we lived for a long time out in Vegas, man. And the heat and the wind just blows. They say it's a dry heat. It's like an oven. This, this heat is blowing against him. It's very hot. God shows mercy to Jonah. And he makes this plant grow up over his head. This is so ironic. So the Lord appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah in the shade to his head. End of verse 6. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. Hear the irony? God, forget what you're doing in the eternal destinies of 600,000 people. Thank you for giving me a comfort and giving me this plant over my head. His priorities are askew, right? He's extremely happy about this plant. Verse 7. Uh oh, verse 7. Jonah's not going to be glad. He's not going to be happy about this. So God appointed a worm, a divinely appointed worm from God. A holy worm. When dawn came the next day, it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's old bald, scorched head. Remember? He said, death is better to me than life. Here he goes again. Just, I just want to die, God. 
You wouldn't be surprised if God says, Jonah, just go ahead and die. I'm so sick of hearing that. It's not what God does. He says, I'd rather die. Verse 9, then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And Jonah says, I do have good, good reason to be angry. Even unto death, verse 10, the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant, Jonah. The plant is an object lesson in the life of Jonah, and it's an object lesson in your life and my life. He is doing a jig and a dancing party for this plant, which came up overnight, faded away the next day, this temporal, meaningless object. God says, listen, I want to ask you about your heart. You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow. It came up overnight and perished overnight, meaning it was a temporal reality. He's revealing the heart of Jonah. And then Jonah, the book ends in verse 11, and God doesn't tie it up in a neat bow. God doesn't end it with this great verse and you just want to... He ends it with a question and it's left open-ended by design for Jonah and for you and for me. Verse 11. God says, should I not have compassion on Nineveh? Should I not have compassion on your enemies? Watch this. Should I not have compassion on those that you consider a threat, those that you consider an enemy, those that offend you, those that bother you, those that are different than you, those that don't act like you? Should I not have compassion on them? There are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right from the left. That's kids. Multiply that. You get around 600,000 people. A massive metropolis city that God says, should I not have compassion on them? And the book ends. So for you and me, God's taken this fish story and he's given us some painful practical application for each of us here this morning. See, I, I'm, I'm Jonah. You're Jonah. We've been set apart by God. We've been given a purpose and a mission. And the fact is that we can be children of God. And we can be right in the middle of God's activity or be called to God's activity. And because our heart is drifted, and watch this, our priorities become so distorted. I'm talking to me. We can miss what God is doing and even be bitter about it. So what do we learn for us? Here's how we're going to end, and we'll, we'll wrap it up. I'm going to give you a few truths that we learn about God. I'm going to give you a few quick truths we learn about Jonah. And then we'll talk about some things very quickly that we learned about ourselves. Number one, what do we learn about God? I'll give you two things. Life truth number one, God is in sovereign control of this fallen world. That's a good place to say amen. So even when it looks like all heck is breaking loose, even when it looks like that we are the victims or however you want to say it, we talked about this a few weeks ago, you see in this story of Jonah, God is completely in control of the wind. He's completely in control of nature. He's completely in control of the pagan sailors. He's completely in control of the city of Nineveh. He is completely in control of the worm. God is in control of vomit. <laughs> and all the preschool moms said, are you sure about that one? I don't know. We're not following a God who haphazardly pulls all things together that God is in control and He has a plan and a purpose for Jonah. He has a plan and a purpose for the people of Nineveh. God has a plan and a purpose for you and He is orchestrating all things together for your good and His glory. But listen, God's sovereign activity in your life is never just about you. 
God didn't put Jonah just in the belly of a whale just for Jonah. He does a great work in the heart of Jonah, but God always has the big picture in mind. Let's not be, Lord, Lord set us free from our self-centeredness when you're working in our hearts that we're saying, Lord, why are you doing this to me? Why are you letting this happen to me? How about this? Lord, I trust you because I know it's, not, it's never just about me. Never just about me. Secondly, this is so encouraging. God's people cannot outrun God's pursuit. Hey, aren't you glad? I don't know where you are right now in your journey with the Lord. I don't know what's going on. But if you're not running today, there will be times in your life, seasons in your life that you find yourself running. And you need to know something like we said before. Thank God you have a God that's more committed to you than you are to Him. He faithfully pursues. He will use the wind. He will use whatever it takes. He will use people. He will use pain. He will use whatever is necessary in your life because He is eternally committed to you. He will present you blameless to Himself one day in Christ Jesus, child of God. And the reason we're able to hold on to Him is because He faithfully holds on to us. Thank God for His grace, right? We see that from the book of Jonah. Now, what do we learn about Jonah? Let me give you three things really quick. These are really applicable to us. Here's three things we learn about Jonah. Number one, this is life truth number four. I know they're not in order, but that's okay. Jonah was theologically right, but relationally wrong. <laughs> See, what do you mean by that? Where do you get that from? Chapter four, Jonah is quoting scripture. Chapter four, when he's talking up on the outside of Nineveh and he's so upset he says this is why I didn't come here God you know why I'm going to quote Exodus 34 and that's what he does he says you are slow to anger you are abounding in loving kindness you are full of loving kindness and all these different attributes of God he quotes Exodus 34 and he knew his Bible facts and he had all his information in his head but his heart was a long way from the compassion of God is it possible for us as the people of God to have all our theology in line and yet our heart be far from God. Yeah, you want an example? The Pharisees of Jesus' day. Information, knowledge can puff up. Truth by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, we pray God sinks it into our heart and what is, mere, what is information becomes transformation in our heart. God, don't let us be Pharisees. God, when I open your word, God, when I sit and hear your word, God, transform my heart to have a heart of compassion just like yours. Jonah was theologically right on, but his heart was far from God. Fifthly, Jonah was more concerned about temporal stuff than the eternal destinies of men. Man, he loved that plant. <laughs> and when God took that plant away, he was mad at God. God, thank you for taking care of this comfort. Thank you for taking care of my discomfort and giving me this stuff, this thing. And then when God took it away, man, he was mad at God. Because his priorities had shifted, which happens to all of us, me included, to things that are here today and gone tomorrow instead of eternal things that are here forever. The word of God and the souls of men and women. It's convicting. Convicting for you and convicting to me. God, do I care 
Am I willing to cross the street to go to that neighbor who will die and go to hell without Jesus? And tell them the gospel. Love them to Christ. Fifthly, sixthly, Jonah failed to connect God's mercy in his life with God's mission in the world. This is huge. Now listen, why does God show you mercy? Why does God bless you? Why does God bless us as a church? Why, are, why does God bless us as Americans? God bless America. Why? Because He loves us, yes. Why did God bring Israel into existence? We know that from Genesis 12. He brought Israel into existence to be a blessing to all the nations. Redeemed a nation, saved a nation, established a nation, put them in the crossroads of the world, said you're a light to the nations. Israel became self-serving, self-seeking. And the mercy of God that poured into their lives, they were never able to see that as a, God, transform my heart by the mercy that you've given me, that I will pour out my life into the lives of others. The mercy of God is intended for you to be blessed, to be a blessing. God, as a church, Lord God, let us as a church not merely hold out and say that we are God-blessed America and miss our commissioning and our calling to the nations. Lord, don't let us say, oh, we're so blessed as a church and miss the fact that we're blessed to be a blessing. Your family is blessed with where you are, with what you have, with all of your goods, more than the world can even imagine for a purpose that is beyond you. It's never just about you. So, for us this morning, we're going to close. And I'm going to ask the team to come on up and just begin to play a little bit soft music behind us so that you can take a second. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to end the service a little bit different this morning. I want you to listen to the Lord. I want you to be ready to respond to whatever the Lord may have spoken to you by His Spirit through the, through the book of Jonah this morning. You may be here this morning and you may be the Assyrians. <laughs> Say, Jesus said in the New Testament, He said He came to reconcile His enemies to Himself. Apart from Christ, you know what I am or what you are if you don't know Christ? An enemy. Thank God, God shows mercy on His enemies, right? If you're here and you don't know Christ, you may be an enemy right now, but you can leave in a few minutes a son of the King. Jesus came to bring you deliverance. He came to, came to offer you repentance, forgiveness, transformation, the new birth in Christ. As we sing and we're here, right there in your seat, call out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I don't want to continue the way I'm going. I need you. Forgive me. I surrender my life to you. And we would love to meet with you as soon as this service is over. But you may be here and you may be a child of God. And some of these things may have pressed on your heart. You may be in that situation right now. God's calling you to do something, and I just don't want to do it. Or God may have revealed some things in your heart that the priorities have just gotten misplaced.